There's a city that looks o'er the valley of death, and its glory has never been told. Where the Lamb is the light in the midst of the night, in that beautiful city of gold. Where the sun, where the sun never, sets, never sets, and the leaves, and the leaves never fade. And the righteous forever will shine like the stars in that beautiful city of gold. There will be no more and the saints, they will never grow old. How I long for that city where there never comes a night in that beautiful city of gold. Where the sun, where the sun never, sets, never sets and the leaves, and the leaves never fade. And the righteous forever will shine like the stars in that beautiful city of gold. Where the sun never sets and the leaves never fade. And the righteous forever will shine like the stars in that beautiful city of gold. In that beautiful city of gold. Amen. That beautiful city of gold. Boy, that's coming one day, isn't it? Yes. Yep, it sure is. As sure as the Word of God is true, that's true. We're glad about it, aren't we? Well, take your Bible again, turn to the book of Psalm, chapter 127, Psalm 127. We're going to begin there in that chapter, we're going to read those verses, and then we're going to move along. Again, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week, and um, so we're going to kick it off, though, by starting with that particular text where we began last week, <clears throat> Psalm chapter 127. Again, we're dealing with uh, a, a series called For the Family, For the Family. In the book of 127, verse 1, the Bible says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Again, a passage that certainly places the success of the home, the success of family, uh, right square, smack dab on the shoulders of the Lord Jesus Christ. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Now, obviously, uh, he's responsible for the home and to direct it, to guide it, to lead it and that res in that respect. But he's given us the rule book. He's given us the blueprint. Now it's up to us to follow his blueprint. And so as we look at the, the family, as we look at the home, we're going to understand and realize that Christ alone uh, has the answer, that he it really has provided for us exactly what we need. He's made it very clear what it is that we need. And it's up to us to apply those things. 
So we see that in Psalm chapter 127, and it's a wonderful thing. And so our series is for the family. And what we found a few weeks ago was that uh, the family is the foundation of society. I mean, the society itself is rooted in the family. And um, the, the, that, that, um, that family is rooted in, in marriage. And marriage, obviously, in the Bible, is defined as one man, one woman for life. And um, we know that from there come the, the children, and from there come the home and the family, and then the culture and the society, and everything works from and in and through that. And uh, so it's so important that we get this right, that we do it God's way. Because ultimately it affects our culture and it affects our society. Because the family is the foundation of society. As the family goes, so goes the nation. And so it's important that our families are strong. And uh, if they're not, then our nation will not be strong. And unfortunately, we are in a place in our world, in our culture, and in our society, in our nation, where we really need to focus, refocus back on the family a little bit. Or I feel like we've kind of lost touch a little bit with what is most important from God's perspective. And as believers today, you know, we can't expect the world to do what we will not. The fact is, is that God is our God. We've received and accepted His Son, Jesus Christ. We have allowed Him to sit on the throne of our life. And if that's the case, then we need to permit God to have His will and way in our life, in our marriages, in our homes. So it's important that we do that. Now... We also then, last week, began talking about the next in our series. We said, yes, the family is the the foundation of society. But we also said the family, the focus of Satan. Because it is the foundation of society, Satan's focus is on the home and the family. He certainly, as we said, wants to weaken the family. He wants to wreck the family. And we even noted that if he can, with all of his being, he wants to wipe out the family. We noted uh, people like Kate Millett, a woman liberation movement member that wrote in her book, Sexual Politics, The Family Must Go Because It Is the Family That Has Oppressed and Enslaved Women. The family's got to go. We saw David Cooper, a British physician, who in his book, The Death of the Family, wrote, quote, the best thing society could do is to abolish the family altogether. I mean, there are people that literally believe what they're saying here. They, they believe this. And let me tell you, it is diabolical. It is satanic. Because God is in control of the home, and the home is ultimately the foundation of the society. So what is Satan going to do? He's going to focus his attention on the home, the family, and he's going to seek to wreck it, to ruin it, to destroy it, and ultimately, if he can, wipe it out completely. We began then saying, how's he going to do it then? What are some of his devices? In the book of 2 Corinthians, we noted that the, the apostle said, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We don't want Satan to have the advantage, so we have to understand how he's going to attack us, some of the tools he's going to use, some of the weapons he's going to use. We need to be very aware of his devices. And so we began to talk about devices that we can see in our culture that are weakening, that are wrecking, and ultimately seek to wipe out the family. And we noted deception. And within that, we said we talked about evolution. And we said how ultimately that if there's no Bible, there's no God-ordained authority, there's no definition of marriage, there's no distinction between the sexes and their roles, there's no standard for discipline or family structure, what we end up with is a philosophy of humanism. And we noted that that itself is, is not going to produce anything good in the home or the family. Then we talked about technology. 
And we said one of his great devices over the last hundred years, of course, has been to, to, to give us technology, you know, things that are going to make life easier, things that are going to give us more time to invest in those things that are most important. And yet what we found as we looked through uh, many of these aspects, of the uh, issues of technology, was that really it's only increased our stress levels and effectively complicated our lives. That, that's, that's really what we found. And so we now move on to another device. And it is in that device that I want to begin today. But before I begin today, I want to once again reiterate and remind you of my disclaimer. My disclaimer is simply this, and I'll, I'll, I'll word it because I don't have it written out in front of me this time, but it's basically this. I'm just going to simply share the Word of God. Amen. And that doesn't always sit well in the culture and the society in which we live. But I'm telling you that I'm not doing it because I want to somehow say I am right and everybody is wrong. The only reason and the only the purpose that I have in sharing what I'm going to share today along the way is because I truly want to set free the captive. I truly want God to be able to work in our lives. I want, him to, I want us to at least know what God's Word says. Then it's up to us what we do with it. That's all. That's the only reason I'm doing it. I, I, I just want you to know what God's Word says. And that's the only thing that I can give you is His Word. After that, it's up to you what you do with it, okay? I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not upset with anybody. I'm not going to argue with anybody. I just simply want to share God's Word. So let me do that today. And let's begin with materialism. And we'll talk about that for just a few moments. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership today. Again, I thank you for your people Lord, just that the fact that they've gathered once again, Father, with open ears and open hearts, and I just pray that you would drive your word home. Father, I am confident that in this room there are people, scores of people, who have sought to let you lead them, to guide them. Their desire is to truly experience, Father, your blessing through obedience. And I just pray you'd continue to do that in their life, meet their needs. Now, Lord, please educate us, encourage us, and, Father, enable us, Lord, just to overcome obstacles in our life. And, Lord, may we, Father, truly be a a people who not only value the family but take steps to ensure its existence and to make sure, Lord, that we're doing everything we can, at least humanly possible, to keep it, uh, Father, the way you intended it to be. Lord, the devil is truly attacking our homes, our marriages, our families. And, Lord, he's wrecking and ruining not only the home, but he's affecting our nation even as a result. Help us, Lord, as believers to at least understand where you stand on things and then begin to ultimately make changes if necessary to somehow align ourselves with what most pleases you. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Now, materialism. Um, as I begin, uh, materialism is equally responsible for the breakdown of the family. We see the devices of Satan. One of them is materialism. In Matthew chapter 6, turn there if you would please, Matthew six nineteen and 20, we are admonished from the word of God there. Lord Jesus Christ speaking, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. The Bible says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. Verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Again, the philosophy of many today 
to include Christians, is that of more. I mean, more money, more things, more comfort, more pleasure, more, 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 more. It seems to be a philosophy. It seems to be a, a, an ideology that has gripped the hearts of not only Americans in general, but Christians as well. We never catch up. It's always bigger and better and faster and greater, newer models and better features, which leave us feeling a bit overwhelmed at times, exhausted, defeated, and stressed out. Don't you think? Seems that way to me. I mean, we talk about phone envy and things like that today. You know, someone's phone is bigger than ours. We got to get that next phone. We got to get that next iPad. We got to get that next computer. We've got to be on the cutting edge of technology. And it's always bigger, faster, better. Whether it's an item in the store and they're saying that this is the new and improved model, whether it's just another lawnmower or uh, even though ours runs or whether it's another car, even though ours is perfectly fine or whether it's, it doesn't matter. It just seems today in our world today in which we live, it's always more, more, more. I'm not saying that having things is wrong. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I, 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 I don't believe that. I don't think that for a minute. I think if you can afford a nice house, you have a nice house. You can afford nice cars, have nice cars. If you can have nice clothes, have nice clothes. There's nothing wrong with, with those kind of things. We're obedient to Christ. We're following the Lord. We're not compromising our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're not com- compromising ourselves with the world. By all means, if you can do that without compromising Christ or joining up with the world, so to speak, then by all means, have all you can get. Enjoy what you've got. Give plenty to God and His work and move forward in your life. Nothing wrong with that. However, it does seem to me that this attitude, this philosophy of more has gripped our hearts. And so in a sense, we never really catch up. There's always something we want. There's always something we feel we need. We have to have it or we'll just not be happy. In an article published in 2006 in the New York Times entitled, Materialism is Bad for You, Studies Say, we note that's exactly what the title was. I'm I'm not making it up. (laughs) It says, using statistics and psychological tests, researchers are nailing down what clerics and philosophers have preached for millennia. Materialism is bad for the soul. Only, quote, only, he says, in the new formulation, materialism is bad for your emotional well-being. In recent years, it goes on to say, researchers have reported an ever-growing list of downsides to getting and spending. Quote, damage to relationships and self-esteem, a heightened risk of depression and anxiety, less time for what the research indicates truly makes people happy, you know, like family, friendship, and engaging work. Isn't that amazing? I mean, even the world is catching on to the idea and the fact that, that, listen, if this is not productive, this materialism, this attitude of wanting more, needing more, having to have more, it's not productive. It's leading to a number of issues, including risk of depression and anxiety, low self-esteem, damage to relationships, damage to relationships, damage to relationships. That's something. The very things that are guaranteed to make us happy today, or at least according to the ads and commercials, 
only provide us with a temporary high. I mean, like drugs, they make us feel good immediately, but soon leave us unsatisfied and wanting more. It's just the way it is. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17 says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Notice he says, I am rich and increased with goods. I have need of nothing. Boy, how sad that situation is. This materialistic mindset that demands that we keep up with the Joneses is responsible for the ever-growing neglect of God in our society. Why do we need God when we have everything we need? We have everything we could want. I mean, I've got a big screen TV. I've got internet. I've got, I've got a home. I've got a car. I'm comfortable. I've even got health care. I've got uh, this and that and everything. And, and we wonder why people don't have a need for God. Well, if there's no need, there's, no, there's the mentality, I have need of nothing, including the God that created me. Materialism, affecting our culture, affecting the mindset of, our, our, of people in the United States, and unfortunately affecting the mindset of believers today. Materialism has subtly impacted the home as well, much more than I believe many realize. I'm going to give you some statistics, and then I'm going to hit you with it. Here it is. Among married couples... A couple households. About 13% consisted of families with children in which only the husband worked. 13%. 31% with dual income families with children. 25% with dual income families with no children. And 31% consisted of, the same, of, of other types of families, such as older married couples which, uh, whose children no longer reside in the household. What I want you to see real quickly, and what I want to point to in this particular statistic is is that among married couple households, about 13% consisted of families with children in which only the husband worked. 31% were dual-income families with children. 72% of moms with children over one year old work versus 39% in 1976. So we're up to 72% with children over a year old from 39% in 76. Huge jump. Huge jump. 55% of moms with children under one years old versus 31% in 1976. Children aren't even a year old and moms are already working. And the children, uh, and, and compared to 55% of those, compared to 31% in 1976. I know some of you are getting nervous. Just hold on. Just hold on, really. I want you to understand something about the family today. That's all I'm telling you. I'm not telling you what to do with your life. I'm trying to tell you that what we're finding is that there's some problems with our homes. Let's try to identify it. In 2013, 63.9% of mothers with children younger than age 6 were in the labor force. 63.9% of mothers with children younger than age 6 were in the labor force. Listen, there's little doubt that costs are up. There's no doubt that wages are down. There's no argument there. No doubt about that. Most, let's just be honest, most people today approach the mindset of work and family and home today with this concept that both people have to work. It's just a necessity today. There is no option. That's, that's how it's faced. That's how we walk into the relationships today. Well, both people have to work because you just can't afford not to. 
I mean, I, I don't think I'm wrong in saying that. Obviously, the statistics tell us that people are doing that, and I'm sure they have good reason for doing that. In their minds, they believe that is important and that's necessary. And you know what? I'm not going to argue. But let me just point out a few things biblically and scripturally. I do want to do that because that's the goal here. Genesis chapter 3. Let's turn there for a moment, please. Now, as believers, we only have one rule of faith and practice. It's the Word of God. It's not what a statistic says. It's not what uh, some teacher tells us. It's, not, it's nothing but God's Word. God's Word defines, describes, details our life and what should be and shouldn't be. He makes it clear. Now, obviously, the, the, you know, before I even go on, I know there's going to be exceptions to certain rules and situations that cannot be avoided. I understand all that. But let's just see what God's word intended and what God wants and what his purpose and role was for all of us in this room as believers now. Notice he says in Genesis 3, and really for the world, Genesis 3, 17 through 19, there we find, of course, the fall of man. And the Bible goes on here when he begins to speak to Adam and shares with him the consequences of his decision. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Right off the bat, the fall, Genesis chapter 3, God tells the man, God tells the man, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return into the ground. He goes on later in 1 Timothy 5, 8 to say, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his, of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. The reality is today is that the husband is responsible for provision in the home. Amen. Not the wife. The husband. Now, again, that is a biblical fact. That is a reality here. You will never find in the Bible where God expects the wife to go out into the world, work a job, bring home money to provide for the home. You don't find Someone says, oh, I know, over there in Proverbs chapter 31. You go ahead and believe that. You break that down, you'll find she's working a business from home. She's not leaving her home. Now, again, I'm not arguing. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not grinding any axes. I want you to understand, we're dealing with the family and we're dealing with the home today. And there is a breakdown. Nobody can deny that as we look across the continent and across this country especially. There's a breakdown. Well, the Bible says that the man is responsible for provision. I want you to notice Titus 2.5 now. <clears throat> we could look at Genesis again. And while you're turning to Titus 2.5, maybe I'll consider that. But... <clears throat> In Genesis 3, as you're turning over there to first Timothy, uh, Titus 2, 5, it says, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception and, sor conception, and in sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, there's nothing about providing for the family there. Okay, I just, we're very clear. Now, notice what the Bible says in Titus 2, 5. <clears throat> 
He goes on to say, to be discreet, talking about the women, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not what? Blasphemed. Notice the, word, the, the phrase, keepers at home. It's important. Now listen, I understand. I, I didn't tell you it was going to be fun today. I'm just telling you, we're going to see what the God's word says. This is the authority here. We wonder what's going on in our homes. Well, maybe it's that if we're not careful, we've gotten out of balance and we're not in the biblical roles that we need to be in. And it's affecting, affecting our future. The, the generation, listen, it doesn't t- it's not always just one generation away. It, it seems that way, but listen, you can have your faith in Christ, do everything right, and set your children on a course that will lead their children astray. Not them. They themselves may be sturdy. But what about the next generation after that? All I'm saying is, look at what's going on here. This is a biblical principle. Husbands provide for the home. The wife takes care and meets the need of the home and the family. That's the biblical concept. Now, that, it's simple. There it is, okay? Now, I think today, and again, I, I told you, what, what, what we do with this information is all up to us. It's individual. You're going to have to make some decisions because nobody answers to God but you. I answer to God, not you. You don't answer to me. I answer to God. So here's the thing now. I, I'm asking myself, I'm looking at the home. I wonder sometimes if the real battle is this. In our culture now, in America... The distinction between need and want. I wonder if we've, we, we, we have lost sight of what is truly needful versus what we want. Now again, I, I'm not, I can't make that decision in every life. All I can say is, is that as a culture, as a society, it seems to me that we think a lot of things are needed. For instance, 25 years ago, nobody needed a cell phone. But now we, we don't just, I mean, we don't even just want them now. We say, you have to have it. You need it. You can't exist without that thing. Now, my question is this. Then let's just use that as an example. Could you actually continue to live without a cell phone? I mean, actually live. Of course you could. But our culture and our society has so, so trained us, so, you know, worked in us that we, all, we kind of feel like, if I got rid of that phone, I, I would, my life would end. Uh, you, you know where I'm going with this. Now, again, uh, uh, you know, we make light of that, and, and, and it's, it is kind of funny when you look at it from that perspective, but there's a lot of things like that that we see, you know, in our world. And we could go through a number of them, but we have to begin to, as believers now, you need, and all I want to do is encourage you to start asking yourself some questions. What, is there a difference or, between my needs and what I want? Is that the case? In, in our materialistic society, things most often trump people as a rule. Things most often trump people. And that is a reality. If you would talk to most wives that have very ambitious husbands, which I think every man in this room ought to be competitive, and I think every one of them ought to be ambitious. I do. I, I think it's pitiful when a guy's just, you know, glad to just wake up in the morning and live off his mom and dad. I have a problem with that. I, I, that's wrong. That's not how it's supposed to be. And by the way, if you're a mom or dad and that's what your son's doing, kick him out. Pretty simple. Quit complaining about it and do something. Make him go out there and get a job. Make him actually work. Make him get, have him get some initiative. Maybe if he's out on the street long enough, under a bridge long enough, he'll figure it out. I don't know. Someone says, well, that's not funny because I know people like that. Yeah, and I'm telling you, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm telling you, if we do things God's way, he's supposed to be supporting himself and taking care of whatever's his. 
You aren't called to do that. And if you're doing it, you're doing it out of compassion. And at some point, you might be hurting them. Because the next thing... Whatever, whatever. So, again, things trump people. I have wives have said things like, my husband, all he wants to do is work. It's not like we have to have the money. It's, it's just like, it's like he, he has to have it. I would like to see him home a little bit. He works 16 hours a day. And we don't need all that money. We have enough to make the bills. We have enough to go to take care of business. But it's like he just work, 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 work. Obsessed with work. Well, we've got to ask yourself a question. Is it obsessed with work or materialism? Always wanting something else. And someone says, well, he doesn't have that much. He's got the same things we got. I know, but is he worried about his retirement? Is he worried about the bank account? Does he just need something to make him feel secure? To make him feel like he's a man? To make him feel like he's actually done what men do? Provide for their families. And I'm somebody because I provide good. That's, God didn't say that's how a man should be going around feeling. Although that is a factor. I mean, a man should take pride in providing for his family, of course. But not in the sense that, that makes him who he is. I'm who I am in Christ. Not because I'm a good provider or a bad provider. I'm who I am in Christ. Now, again, when it comes to our families, I think in some cases we've effectively convinced ourselves that what our children need is more stuff. I believe that. We need more stuff. When what they really need is more mom and dad. Again, we're talking about the family. What's important and what's going to keep that family structure tight? What's going to keep it moving forward? What's going to keep it productive? Man, we are splintered. We are dissected as families today. There's so much dysfunction in the home today. Well, I believe materialism plays a factor in it. I believe, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm convinced that the fact that we haven't had moms in homes over the last generation has affected the, the potential of our nation. It's affected our homes. It's affected our nation now. It's weakened our families because that's God's design. That's how God intended it to be. It's not a matter of who's right and wrong between us. It's a matter of will we as believers allow God to work in our life. I'm not saying run out today and change your whole life. I'm saying think about it. Let's let God, let's find out what God's word says. Get in the word of God, figure it out, because in the end your family is worth much more than whether or not you can afford a second car. Your family is worth much more in light of eternity than how nice a house you live. When it's all said and done, whether you're eating steak or you're eating hot dogs will not matter in eternity. That family will matter. And those children and their future matter more than what you're eating today. And you, you, if you're not careful, you buy into the philosophy of the world that says that I have to have this, 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 and this, or I'm a nobody. I'm a big zero. And my kids won't respect me. And they won't want nothing to do with me. That's, that's a lie. Amen. You talk to anybody that does have money and has given their kids everything and anything they desire, and they'll say they're spoiled rotten, and they wish they could go back and do it different. The family's being weak and reckoned, I believe, by materialistic mentality. And, and I'm not saying, now watch this. I'm not saying if there's a two income, because listen, costs are high. And I know the trap, and I've read a lot on the trap of, of dual incomes. I mean, listen, back in the 70s, you know, the cost of living. They can tell us all day there's no cost of living, but there is. It is expensive to live today, more so than in the 70s. Much more expensive per capita. Much more. All I'm saying is 
let us be careful. Is cable a necessity? Are cell phones a necessity? Is a brand new car in the driveway a necessity? Is a lease a necessity? Is a big house a necessity? Is a nice vacation every year a necessity? Is, you know where I'm going with this. I want you to think it through. Is shopping at Macy's a necessity instead of shopping at the thrift store? I'm just saying, what is a necessity versus what is a need today? I mean, a, a, a want or a necessity. There's, I think that's where I want the people of God to really think in their hearts and ask themselves some questions. But nonetheless, when it's all said and done, God's word has to be authority. We have to look at it. We have to focus on it and let God work in our lives. There you go. Materialism. 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 I'm going to say another thing. I have watched families in the culture we live because of materialism go a million miles away from each other. The disintegration of the home. We have to be very careful with that. You be real careful letting money make your decisions. Money is not a God to follow. Money is a tool to use. Make sure we're right with God. You obey the Lord. Listen, I have children that may be moving away because of business. I understand that. But let me tell you something. They better make sure it's God moving them and not a job. Because that will only splinter the family further. That only ultimately sends grandbabies away from grandparents. And now there's no communication. There's no interest. Listen, one of the best things that God let me do in my life, and again, God let me do this. I begged God to let me... I I knew I was going to start a church or take one over. I begged God, God, I would be pleased if you'd let me stay close to my family so that my children could know their grandparents and be influenced by them. That was my prayer. And God helped me with that. Today, my children are all a direct result of not just their mother and father, but the influence of their grandparents in their life. Directly. I can't even take that away from them. That is the bottom line. Without grandparents, I don't know what my kids would have turned out like. It makes a difference. Now, again, I'm just saying, again, many times materialism makes our decisions. Let's not let money make our decisions. Let's let God make our decisions. You obey the Lord. Do not obey money or materialistic things. Number four, finally, I've got to hurry here. Immorality and pornography are destroying, dis- just disintegrating the home. Just ruining it, wrecking it. A powerful enemy of the home is this. There is nothing good, nothing good that comes out of the advancement of free love or sexual openness for the family. Nothing. Not one good thing comes from that. Now, in 1 Corinthians 7, the Bible says, Now concerning the things wherefore you write unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. You know, by the way, I don't need the Greek to know what word touch means. I don't need the Greek. I'm about fed up to hear with people trying to define what that means. I feel like it's a flashback of President Clinton years. Some of you are older know what I'm talking about. It's ridiculous. Folks, listen, the Bible's plain. It's not good that a man touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. You, you notice how God again re, re, reminds us 
of what the biblical marriage is? There it is again. You see that? But he says to avoid what? Fornication. To avoid sin, sexual sin, immorality. Then every man ought to have his own wife and let the woman have her own husband. The Lord's plan, again, is for each one to have one of the other. I'm allowed to have a wife to meet those needs in my life. She's allowed to have a husband to meet those needs in her life. See, God never intended that a physical relationship exists between those who are not exclusively committed to one another within the bonds of marriage. He never intended that. God never intended for there to be relationships that are physical outside of marriage. Uh, That's just the reality of it. Now, the family is the foundation of society, and that institution cannot be comprised if we... It can't be compromised if we hope to, 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 to hold society together. We've got to hold on to this thing. Now, although marriage is God's plan for men and women, it's increasingly being avoided today. Marriage is being avoided. It, it, it's, it's hurting the home, the family today. In April, on, April 4th, uh, uh, on April 4th, 2013, National Health Statistic Report showed that marriage was the first union for just 23% of women between the ages of 15 and 44 during the period from 2006 to 2010, according, again, to the National Center of Health Statistics. And what it says, again, 23% of women between the ages of 15 and 44 um, during that period, between 2006 and 2010, their first union, their first relationship, physical relationship with a man, or probably a woman included there probably, was just 23%. 23% of them um, was in marriage. The rest was outside of marriage. Well, that, that's alarming to me. That's not helping support the family. That's not supporting the family. Nearly half of women today, 48%, choose to cohabitate as their first union. Half of women. That means I have two daughters. According statistically, one of them would go live with a boy instead of marry. That's pretty alarming to me. As a Christian, it's alarming. Now, in the world, that's nothing to be alarmed about, folks. That's no, what, who cares? But as a believer that believes this book, it's not good that a man touch her, let alone have a relationship with her until they're married. The report shows that while cohabitating couples often marry at some point, cohabitations frequently dissolve within five years or much less time. You know what they find? They find that those who test the waters, who do it with the intention of making sure that we are compatible with one another, they actually get divorced faster. They end up in divorce. It's usually within five years. One of our most startling findings, the report Arthur states, is that today's young people of all education levels are entering their first, he calls, coresidential relationships at about the same age as in the past. It's just that now they are far more likely to be living together than married. Prior to 1960s, prior to the 60s, living together without being married, of course, was socially unacceptable. If anybody was around then, you knew that. Over time, it's become more common for couples to choose to live together. Again, as we said, either a step before getting married or instead of taking vows. 
Between 1970 and 1989, cohabitation jumped 740%. People living together jumped 740% from 1970 to 89, almost about 20 years. Again, this is an obvious deviation from God's pattern and from God's plan. And, and, and that's, that's not encouraging marriage. It's not helping marriage. The definition of family has been reinvented to include such living arrangements. And God's definition is still the same. It doesn't matter. It hasn't changed a bit. Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they, and they shall be one flesh. So, we're having a real problem with that. Immorality based on relationships. Marriage is not the first choice anymore. Marriage is often the second or third choice anymore. And the fact is, is that that is not beneficial to the family in America, and it is deteriorating, and it is hurting the home and the family. Matthew 5, 27, 28 says, Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now we get to even a greater degree of problem. <laughs> with that said, let me give you a couple other statistics. 40 million Americans regularly visit porn sites. 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. 25% of all search engine queries are related to pornography, or about 68 million search queries a day. Isn't that amazing? One-third of porn viewers are women. One-third are women today. It wasn't like that in the past. It's changed, though. 2.5 billion emails sent or received every day contain pornography. Someone says, what's the definition of it? I'm not 100% sure what the definition of porn is there, but I can guarantee you that it's something we probably shouldn't be looking at. You may say to yourself, well, that's a person, personal decision. No one has a right to judge them for their decision. I mean, God's the judge and, you know, I know that's the point. God's the judge. And that's why I want to share this. It's hurting our homes and families. And we're going to answer for this. Pornography has increased the marital infidelity rate, get this, this is a statistic, by more than 300%. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's increased the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. Four, 40% of sex addicts lose their spouses. 58% suffer considerable financial losses. And about a third lose their jobs. That's, that's a problem for the home, the family. 68% 68 of divorce cases involve one party meeting a new partner over the Internet, while 56% involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. What that means is that over half of the couples that walk into my office then, someone's going to say, I just can't deal with it. He is obsessed with pornography. Or she is obsessed with pornography. Can't handle it. Isn't that amazing? One out of two. Now, in the church, I hope it's less than that. But let me tell you, from experience, I don't think it's that high. I think it's pretty close. I mean, any, any lower. I think it's pretty close to that. You and I'd be foolish not to note the correlation between pornography and the deterioration of the home. We'd be fools. And there's no way that a husband and a wife can share one another with the fantasy partners of pornography. 
and truly enjoy the blessings that God intended to flow from a mutually satisfying, monogamous marriage. It doesn't happen. I don't care what you think, sir or ma'am. I don't care what you think. Biblically and scripturally, if you think about something in your heart, it's as if you've done it. And the fact is, that makes it sinful. And I don't care what you say. There's no excuse for sinning against the God of this, this world. We will answer for that. And, and I don't care. Well, me and my wife, we're okay with it. You may be okay with it, but God's not. Let me tell you that right now. Biblically, He's not. I know this is a fun time. Everybody's enjoying this. But the fact is, is that you're not right with God if you are allowing this into your marriage and your home. There's no way biblically you can fall on that side. Impossible. Amen. According to Patrick F. Fagan, Ph.D., psychologist and former Deputy Assistant Health and Human Services Secretary, he said, quote, two recent reports, one by the American Psychological Association on hypersexualized girls and the other by the National Co- uh, Campaign to Prevent Teen Pregnancy on the Pornographic Content of Phone Texting Among Teenagers, make clear that the digital revolution is being used by younger and younger children to dismantle the barriers that channel sexuality into the family life. Let me tell you something. we got problems. There are real problems here. Even the world understands that this is a problem. They won't do anything about it, but they understand it. There are some psychologists. There are some sociologists. There are some men and women that are trying to cry out to the culture and the society we live. But listen, we do not live in a culture and a society that, has, that, that, that believes in hearing the word no anymore. Pornography hurts adults, they go on to say. It hurts children, couples, families, and society. This is, a, this is a secular psychologist. Among adolescents, pornography hinders the development of a healthy sexuality, and among adults, it distorts sexual attitudes and social realities. In families, pornography, pornography use leads to marital dissatisfaction, infidelity, separation, and divorce. They say it. That, I didn't even have to read a verse. The world itself knows that that's the case. What do we do about it? It's kind of like alcohol. We do nothing about it. It's too big business. Somebody's making too much money to stop it. I want to close with this real quick. And I know we're, we're, we're short on time. And I just drew your attention to it. So now you'll be looking. <laughs> Evidence of this diabolical scheme can be easily seen in the perspective and viewpoints of those around us today. Let me give you an example as we close. Recently, we were introduced to Ashley Madison, whose database was hacked and its members exposed. Ashley, uh, excuse me, um, Ashley Madison's motto is this, life is short, have an affair. Okay? Now, you've probably heard about this in the news. I I was uh, watching an interview, and so I went ahead and... uh, went ahead and looked at the interview and I went ahead and listened to it and I eventually pulled some uh, things from it. I went ahead and, you know how you play it and stop it and you keep typing, trying to type it all out because it wasn't written out so I had to type it out myself. But I, I've, I've, I wanted to share a couple of these statements. It, it, it truly was alarming. In an interview, um, a, a lady by the name of Melanie uh, Berlitt, a journalist and producer who's contributed to Vanity Fair magazine, made some observations and comments in light of the Ashley Madison scandal that I believe you're going to find insightful but very alarming. Here's what she said. Speaking to an interviewer, she stated these, these words. She said, monogamy is not r- the right choice for everyone, right? She's talking, right? She said, right? Monogamy is not the right choice for everyone, right? 
She goes on to say, I believe it's hard to make a sweeping generalization about whether or not monogamy is the right path for everyone. For some couples, it works. For others, it doesn't. Do I think that having an extramarital affair can be destructive? In some cases, yes. But in other cases, it's possible to believe that it might actually be helpful to a relationship. I just think that every relationship is so different and that we can't make generalizations about the types of men doing Ashley Madison or whether or not it's helpful or destructive. <laughs> and they asked you if your husband was on Ashley Madison and had been meeting up with one of these women, would you find that destructive? Second of all, I think monogamy is just really difficult, you know. To sort of channel Churchill, monogamy, whatever that means, I don't know what Churchill said, but anyway, to sort of channel Churchill, she said, monogamy is the worst option, maybe, when you consider all the alternatives. And that's something. She goes on to say, it's what we end up doing, and we sort of intertwine marriage with monogamy, which is perhaps problematic. But it's not the right way for everyone. Folks, listen to me. That's the, the prevailing, that's a, an attitude that is catching on very quickly in our culture. That you don't have a right to say that marriage, first of all, is one man, one woman. You don't have a right to say that even within the context of marriage, there ought to be some parameters, some guardrails. No, no nowadays, there are no right and wrongs. And that's the real problem here. We need to be very careful because the home is being affected and it's deteriorating, it's being destroyed because we are allowing the mentality and the ideology of the world to take hold of us. In Proverbs 4.15, the Bible says, Enter not in the path of the wicked, go not in the way of evil men, avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. You and I as believers cannot embrace the ideology of the world. We cannot allow ourselves to buy into this idea that it's all right to view some pornography. It's okay to maybe have an extramarital affair. There are certain circumstances and situations that would deem it even productive at times. I mean, folks, listen to me. The Bible is still God's word, and God's word is still true. Don't rationalize away truth because ultimately you will rationalize away the very fabric of our great nation, which is the family. You lose that family, you lose the nation. And let me tell you, you only need to look around you today and you realize that we are quickly arriving there. So the family is the foundation of society. God has designed it so. Boy, that devil's determined to weaken, wreck, and even wipe it out. We need to be very aware of his devices, deception, technology, materialism, immorality, and pornography. Those are the things that God, the God of this world is using to accomplish his goals. God help us not to be ignorant of those devices. Today, I just want to focus. We, we talked on two things. I wonder today, do you put too much emphasis on money? And number two, do you allow yourself to look at things you shouldn't look at? Do you put too much emphasis on money... Do you allow yourself to, put, to, to, to look at things you shouldn't look at? Those are the two things I want us as believers to focus on today.